Hello, welcome to the TGE podcast. Um, thank you so much for joining us today again. We are might be one day late, but um, that is something that we are going to institute for the future, but we will still be weekly. I'm here with my friend Tyler. Tyler, how are you? Good, Sven. How are you doing? Yes, we're trying a new release time. I don't know if that's worth apologizing for. I hope that it is. There's a lot of interest in the podcast, which we appreciate. Uh, the word keeps spreading, which we appreciate. You telling your friends about it. So please keep at it. Don't stop on account of us. But yeah, just because of scheduling things, we might start doing it Monday evenings instead of Sunday at midnight. Nice. Um, so should we explain what this podcast is, Sven? Because there seems to be some confusion, which I enjoy. I enjoy the confusion on YouTube, but you do not. <laughs> I I no I'm I I enjoy any any comment. We got a comment. I will watch your intelligent film analysis all day, but can't understand visual scene analysis via audio podcast. Are you describing the cuts? And how can it help to hear about a visual art? Any reason you won't make videos of the podcast? Which is a comment that was left underneath a video of a podcast of one of our scenes. <laughs> well, which, and, it's, and it's worth bringing up too because, yeah, the point of what you're listening to is we look at a different scene each week from a film, sometimes popular films, sometimes innovative films, sometimes overlooked films, and we look at it in terms of editing and naturally as editors other things are going to come up so we're analyzing the clip and looking at it really the technique and craftsmanship that was used to put it together and, and, and dissecting that and yeah we're going to end up talking about other stuff because as an editor you pay attention to other stuff right Sven? That's right and um, you might have heard the saying that good editing is actually invisible and it's hard to tell it even if you're looking at it so why not just listen to good editing and then um, it might be even easier to figure out what's working. Maybe. I don't know. But uh, the thing is, I think it actually does might be beneficial to look at a scene in a podcast and the way that we're doing it, it's kind of like an audiobook. We let it play. You get to hear some of the important lines and then we're describing the scenes as you were asking. Yes, we're describing some of the important moments. But we also want to encourage you to take a look at the scene before and or afterwards and then have sort of a new take on it. It's In a way, I think this, this podcast is meant to open your eyes. And that's one of the great things about working as an editor, no matter what you want to do, starting out as an editor, editing your own stuff, such an invaluable thing to do because you really get to learn a lot about, A, the mistakes that you make, <laughs> how to be more efficient when you're on set, ways to set yourself up, what the real goal of capturing what is going on is it's not about capturing something that's been rehearsed to perfection that you're just going to then cut together like uh, with the cookie cutter. It's about creating opportunities so that you can sculpt and craft it in the editing room. Something you can see Sven doing, you can actually see him doing it now, which is really cool because your whole YouTube channel started with you making videos of you working on the film Flesh and Blood and now you're doing that again with the new film you're working on and I believe it's it's only on Patreon for now? It's only on Patreon for now. There'll be some videos on the main channel about like workflow and some bigger themes but the day-to-day decision-making of cutting specific scenes and making those choices, how you how you get into one, how do you shape an actor's performance, make character choices, all that stuff can be seen on Patreon. It sounds like we're pushing it, but I just honestly think it's cool. And the students I've, I've shown Sven stuff to, it's, it's very eye-opening in terms of what an editor does, 
the liberties that an editor can take when attempting things, the liberties a director can take with their own material to discover it in the editing room. So it's very worth checking out if you're if you're interested in filmmaking and want to be able to maximize what you're doing with the with the footage that you, that you're shooting. Yeah, I feel like we kind of got away there because I got excited that you're working on a new film, posting stuff. But well, I'm going to bring it back right now. I also wanted to <laughs> quote uh, someone that I heard over the week at Lacey Puck. His name is Michael Sioni. He's kind of a visionary post-production person. And he was talking about the importance of audio. And since we're talking about audio podcasts and should we be looking at scenes and editing and all that stuff, maybe that might be fitting here. He said that it's um, you can't make a horror movie without the sound. Like you can play a, a a horror movie turn the sound off and it's not going to be scary but you might be afraid of a comedy if you change the sound make it sound mm -hmm. like a horror movie did i make my point swiftly yeah, not sure not, so but his point but the point being is that audio design is is a bigger deal than we give it credit in terms of making scenes work And so that's another reason why I think it could be really interesting to listen to iconic scenes and then talk about them. Yeah, we could purely just turn this into a podcast dissecting the sound design of iconic scenes. Should we read a couple more comments from the last uh, podcast? Yeah, but just let me clarify real quick with the comment. Make comments on the podcast. It's fun. We like getting feedback. It's a little tough on the last one. Dennis makes these really great videos for us based on the recordings that we do that visualize it which is very helpful i think but because of the nature of the last podcast that we did which i thought was you know one that could benefit from a lot of feedback obviously it was a little harder to get any because we didn't have a youtube video for it but i went off for a little while about how much we appreciate the fan base of the show and the types of comments we get and how thoughtful they are and how there's kind of like an inherent censoring that goes on um, and then immediately within like the first four minutes of the <laughs> eighth grade video going up, I was like texted Sven. I was like, oh God, maybe, <laughs> maybe I was wrong. But then looking back at it, you know, the same thing I said happens, happens. The kind of like atrocious borderline trollish comment, you know, was like rightfully pushed back on by a representative group of people that kind of helped put it in context. And then other comments floated to the surface. So yeah, I thought it was, was a uh, really cool. interesting <clears throat> interaction on that video where somebody made what I would consider kind of a very harsh, hateful comment and people sort of responded to it where it was, I'm sort of glad that that happened mm -hmm. and that the community sort of took care of it. So yeah. there was no need for us to step in. I, like for a moment I was considering, oh, this is kind of, that's, a, that's borderline, I don't know, it's crossing a line. Should I take this, mm -hmm. remove this comment? And before I had to make any decision, it, I sort of it was put into context. Yeah. So if and you the, if yeah, you pushback makes it more meaningful. Yeah. If you want to know what we're talking about, you should go and check out that bonus video about eighth grade, the video analysis. Um, it's on the YouTube channel. This guy edits, and you can scroll through the comments. One other thing, if you do want to just interact directly about just the podcast, then you can go to thisguyedits.com slash comment. So another comment about the eighth grade video was from a person that said that he actually worked on the film. And I thought it was really nice to, to have somebody from, from the crew comment. And Back to Back Games, that's his or her name, wrote, I worked on this film as a grip. Um, Bo, Bo Burnham. Bo came 
and chatted it up with me during a break uh, while shooting. He was cool, seemed really consumed with trying to get it right. All in all, he made a good first impression, which is not usually the case when dealing with people in the film business. Nice, nice. Huh. Bo is a nice person, and I appreciate that somebody um, reported that back to us. And then speaking of, of connecting with the, the zeitgeist and pushing conversations forward, we have this week's clip, which we will be looking at, which is from Black Mirror, which obviously we've been fans of for a while, but this was a new alleged groundbreaking episode of Black Mirror in which we did a choose-your-own-adventure style of storytelling. And I only say allegedly because the funny thing I would like to point out with this is that no one has talked about it or discussed Steven Soderbergh's HBO series Mosaic. Right. Which was very similar, which is so funny how, how this... I mean, Black Mirror is obviously a great show, but just how this, uh, you know, absorbs the zeitgeist. and was done, you know, on a platform in a way that I think maybe is a little more accessible or, uh, you know, people could get into it much quicker uh, with this than they could with Mosaic in terms of just usability. I hadn't seen it on HBO, but I knew about it, so I'm glad you brought it up because it just, it's totally... I totally blanked on that. So how did it work on HBO? Um, how did they make that work? <laughs> yeah, I meant to watch it last night and didn't. So, so never maybe mind. Maybe just steer away from it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, scratch all that. Yeah, so we're talking about Bandersnatch, which is an interesting title, and there's a reason for it if you dig deep into it. Um, it's a 2018 psychological thriller interactive film in the science fiction anthology series Black Mirror. Uh, it was released on December 28, 2018. Kind of like just in, like the release was super fast. I didn't know anything about it. And a day later, it was out there and everybody was talking about it. Uh, at least that's yeah. what it was for me. Yeah, I, I was home on break. And same thing as with the last Christmas episode of Black Mirror. It was suddenly, you know, rumors had been there. And then it was just, hey, it's happening. It's out. Midnight. Yeah. So it's really fun how they can market themselves without marketing it at all it's purely word of mouth it seems like totally i mean it's been in the works for many years i think they started working on it in 2017 when um, netflix had several interactive projects for children underway and they were looking for something for the adult uh, market but it took a while to figure it out and the creators of black mirror for some time thought this isn't going to work out but then they sort of hmm. found a really matter story where viewers can make decisions for the main character um, who is a guy who's adapting a fantasy choose-your-own-adventure novel into a video game in 1984. Um, and so then wait, it started to click. So this is something that the platform brought to it? Like Netflix wanted this? It wasn't the, it wasn't the Black Mirror team that wanted to do it? Yeah, it was sort of Netflix was experimenting with different formats for children and they thought, okay, let's try this for the adults as well. And they proposed this to them to develop and it took them a while to wrap their head around it. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I wonder what other, I wonder what House of Cards would have been. Yeah, they, that was the fallback option. Choose the Spacey story or Robin Wright. Yeah, they're reporting that it took basically as much production time as doing four regular episodes. And it's huh. one of the reasons why the new season is pushed back by a little bit, but it's still supposed to come in 2019. 
Interesting. And apparently there's five hours of material, I heard. Um, let's take a look. There are 150 minutes of unique footage divided into 250 segments. So wow. the quickest path ends after 40 minutes. The average viewing is 90 minutes. Whoa. Yeah, I thought I'd explored it pretty well, but it turns out there's all kinds of different variations. Yeah, just going through some other interesting facts. Um, there's a bunch of hidden Easter eggs in there. There is one ending in there that you can't see when you watch it for the first time, apparently. You have to like have gone through one path in its entirety before this ending opens up. Some people believe oh, wow. there are five main endings. The producers report that there are a total of nine different endings um, that you can huh. get to. Somebody on Reddit made this incredible flow chart where she or he just tracked every possible choice that you made and what happens to it. We can I'll leave a I'll leave a link on our Reddit uh website on there so you can check it out. It's really cool. And I, I yeah. really like how we get into the film, which is like at the beginning the choices that you make are not really that impactful and you get comfortable with the making decisions like it was kind of stressful at the beginning for oh what do we do well, we don't want to screw up um so you have right. to for example choose the type of cereal he's going to eat in the morning and it really doesn't yeah. make a big difference um for the rest of the story but it's uh, it's good to get you started yeah yet although in the version i watched that cereal moment what's going on outside ends up being really important to yeah, it it does keep track of your choices and it does have an impact down the road. Like I remember somewhere vaguely that 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 logo showed up of the cereal box somewhere as well, like in in well, a you know, TV commercial or something in the background. Yeah, and then there's and then like the next choice is just what music he's listening to, which when I got sent back, I had to rewatch it and with the different music choice. So it always kind of seemed like there's a direction it wanted to go. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess not. I guess there's a whole different ending you can have. It is interesting um, that they sort of had to like rework the back end of Netflix as well in terms of how they cage movies. So for example, hmm. you make a decision and they wanted it to be as seamless as possible. So you don't really notice that like there's no reloading going on or so. So they were constantly caging two different versions of um, the film in the background so that it just was smooth um, wow. which I, I felt pretty smooth to me how these decisions were made I mean there was always a pause for you to take a mm -hmm. moment to make that decision about 10-15 seconds or so um, but yeah. it still felt like we are like in the story it didn't feel like oh now we're in pause nothing is moving the characters were still there they were like thinking or doing something where it felt like we're still in the story yet we have control at this moment right and the other thing that's interesting is that how this it kind of reminds me to an extent how westworld i don't i don't want to spoil anything but there's a parallel to westworld in the way that you know, Netflix released this whole thing about they uh, statistically the amount of people that chose frosted the frosted flake type cereal over the sugar puff type cereal, oh. and it massively it was like seventy five percent. So there's this entire absurd almost marketing end to it of being able to study people. But again, I was watching it with like you know. My family, which was an interesting battle royale yeah. of making those choices, <laughs> um, 
And yeah, it was just like a really interesting experience. Like I wonder what it would have been watching it by myself. But now that yeah, now they have this information just based on based on nothing, like which which cereal people prefer. Yeah. And it, mean, it seems like almost an interesting way for a company like Netflix to study data desires and impulses. Yeah, to deal with, with data, which they're doing anyway. Um and Right. It's 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 happening. Well, no wonder they pushed it. Of course this was their idea. Yeah. Because <laughs> underneath it there's you can because st- obviously their algorithms have served them very well in terms of knowing what shows to buy and stuff. Yeah, I mean, this. I read I read an article that Netflix changes the thumbnail of a video based on who's watching. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you can see the same show, and they're pushing either the 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 sex angle of a film, or the fear, or the horror, or whatever, based on films that you like. And right, that's I mean, that's crazy with the detail or the way that they come up with thumbnails for the films it's all yeah the first path is all done by a computer that just goes through a movie and it's i guess looking at every frame and deciding like okay here's a face with eyes that's like that seemed to really work in the past so we're going to pick that as an option and then they yeah. just uh, whittle it down and then at the end it's a designer who then puts it all together but they're already massively using the data that they're getting every day through their viewers to do what every platform is do to figure out ways to keep you longer on the platform the longer you stay the more the more power they have because attention is a commodity it's the most valuable commodity of our time the more eyes they have the longer the more powerful they are as a platform yeah and then it's interesting what's going to happen when Disney begins to challenge them with their own streaming service, Warner Brothers streaming service. It'll be very interesting when we have like all that that content that's available from when Netflix just sends up with its own stuff that it's made. Yeah, you know, because it has the power and advantage of like knowing what we want. Because I'll see thumbnails where it's like, really, like John C. Riley has a bit part in that movie, <laughs> and yet I'm looking at a thumbnail where he's the star, yeah. and <laughs> it's hard not to click it. But the other thing that's weird about Netflix is I don't know, I don't know if Netflix knows the movies that I like because if I'm watching something on Netflix it's because I didn't bother seeing it in theaters right. you know what I mean yeah so it doesn't really know my taste and yet I realized it knows what I'm going to watch on Netflix you know what I mean yeah so it's a weird it's a weird I don't know catch 22 or something like that where they don't know what I would really love to see what I will leave my house to go see Right. But they do know what I'll watch already in it. Yeah, well, there was also an interesting article about that Netflix is somewhat has a big weakness that they need to fix, which is that most of the content that people are actually watching on Netflix, they don't, they haven't created. They've licensed it. For example, The Office mm-hmm. is one of yeah, the biggest shows saying. of Friends. And that yeah. they're facing the big challenge now that all the other studios obviously have woken up. They're doing their own streaming services. And they're now, when these licenses expire, will most likely not give Netflix a chance to bid on them again. And right. I mean, Netflix is aware of that and has been aware of this for years. And that's why they're pushing so heavily to create original content. But when you look at what's being watched, they haven't really cracked the code yet. Most of the original huh. shows are not as successful as some of the flagship stuff that they license. Yeah. 
there's a few things on Netflix. You know, like Black Mirror is like a really good example. But again, that's not a Netflix original. It it became one. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. But they didn't generate it. So it's interesting. There's a there's a few things. Like, you know, obviously we enjoy Mindhunter on this podcast. <laughs> so that's kind of like a great example of something that's pure Netflix. But I don't know how big of a winner that is for the channel. But, that you know, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And it's funny because their business model is purely to get people, you know, to subscribe and stay on. Whereas Amazon is a big competitor with deep, deep pockets that wants people, it wants to operate like a shopping mall where it wants people to watch movies, go to the mall so that they will then hang out and buy stuff or be buying stuff and then maybe hang out and watch a movie, vice versa. And then Apple, that's another huge, 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 huge investment in new content. And I think that might just be purely to get more people to use their devices. You know, it's just very interesting, the approach of these companies and the benefit of content. So it's an interesting time to be kind of navigating the world after (laughs) film going was one thing for a hundred years. Now suddenly, yeah, it's just a good time to have a podcast about it, Sven, tracking this stuff. Yeah, so so it does make sense for Netflix to experiment with a format like this because it opens up a lot of possibilities. We're like one step away from computer games right you mentioned that before that uh, like there are computer games that are now making obviously more money than films and they're con- yeah. they're more immersive and uh, people are spending more time on that so this is this is just a an, a logical next step to to maybe make netflix something where you can have both you can watch well, movies or you can engage with the content more more deeply. And what's interesting about that is two things. One, the CEO of Netflix said that we're not competing with HBO. We're competing with Fortnite. That's who we're losing Ooh, interesting. <laughs> subscribers to. And also, Amazon just bought a huge platform to become an online gaming service. So, mm-hmm. the, it, yeah, it's just interesting what's, what's going to happen. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a lot of big picture. Should we take a look at this particular (laughs) scene? Sure. (laughs) So what we usually do on this podcast is we look at one specific scene of an iconic movie and really get into the detail, into the weeds to see how the actual storytelling is put together and things that we can uh, take away from it so that we become more literate in the language of filmmaking. So the scene that we picked, I think this is a really good scene for Bandersnatch because it sort of explains the the <clears throat> the premise of this whole film and like the level of matter that's going on here. So when we play it the first time, I think we should like play some of the dialogue here, especially at the beginning, because they're basically explaining the whole premise of the film. Um, but we should we can then go back afterwards and talk about the how was this put together as well. Mm-hmm. One thing also I want to know is how many viewings did it take you to arrive at this scene? Because I'd kind of, I'd completed the story at the time I went back and kind of wound up in this rabbit hole to find this scene. So was this your first viewing that you hit it? Um, I feel like it was the second go around. Okay. I yeah. Don't, I don't okay, think yeah. it was. Like at the beginning, I was a little confused whether this is over or not because the credits mm-hmm. started playing somehow in the middle of the film for me, I right. feel like. <laughs> and yeah. which might be something that they stole from Monty Python, I'm not sure. It's kind of mm-hmm. s- something that they <laughs> did in one of the or episodes. Vice. Yeah. Um, I'm kidding. So 
it took me a while to figure out, oh, I'm just going in circles right now. I'm exploring. The, and somewhere along the line, this scene popped up. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I wonder what it would be like to run into this on the first go. And if you did, please let us know if you, whatever aggressive path you took watching the movie that you hit this scene on the first go, I would think would be pretty mind-boggling because it's self-aware in terms of the fact that it's on Netflix, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, oh. it, it gets even weirder in other scenes once you get past this point. But yeah, let's go ahead. And the way we do it is we're going to start it up and describe what's going on in the scene. So here we go in three, two. So we're in an office. You're being controlled by someone on Netflix. What is Netflix? Is it's it? like a therapy office and we have a lot of close-ups. Some sort of future entertainment thing. Like a computer game. I don't know. It's from the 21st century, they said. Okay, well, let's try to pick it apart logically and see if we can define if this is reality or delusion. It's not a delusion. Okay, let's go through it. It's kind of the first wide shot we okay. see here. So, all of this is happening to entertain someone. Someone who's controlling you. Uh-huh. So... Why aren't you in a more entertaining scenario? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, look at you. You're in a small, ordinary room, in an ordinary part of the world, talking to an ordinary woman. If this was entertainment, surely you'd make it more interesting. Inject a little action, isn't that right? I mean, wouldn't you want a little more action? Okay, so now we're having the choice to say yes or fuck yeah. Right. And the choice here on this clip was made for us. Somebody said fuck yeah. And now... <coughs> Just threw the coffee into her face. She's clearing the table. She has... She has weapons. Two telescopic batons. <laughs> yeah. The next decision is... Oh, you can leap through the window? I'm curious what that is. Or you can fight her. Yeah. And he chooses to fight her. Mm-hmm. And it feels seamless, right? I don't know. I have any idea what you mean, but... Like the way that you make your decision and how the story unfolds. There's a big fight now. Right. Um, he's throwing her across the table. A dude walks in. He's punching. He's being punched. And the guy is, like, strangling him pushing him up mm -hmm. into the air and he has to make a decision to kick his balls or something this else. This is dad, yeah. <laughs> Karate chop his dad or kick him in the balls. <laughs> and we're choosing to kick the balls. <laughs> Boom. And I'm curious what difference that would have had, the karate chop. So the guy drags him out of the office. We're now in the lobby. Fuck. Huh? Fuck your day. I'm good and proper, did we? I'm being my friend from the future. <laughs> And he's screaming towards us, the viewer. Yeah. And that's the end of the scene. I wonder if it would have, what would have happened with the other choices, et cetera, et cetera. There's so, so there's like three different ways that can go just with, within itself. Or wait, so there's the initial fight, window, um, uh, kick him in the balls. Is there another one in there that I missed? Well, fight her, three. leap through the window yeah. and kick his balls. So three decisions. Yeah, okay, so yeah. Three so decisions three, so within uh, two f minutes and 45 seconds. 
So this so is. I don't know if you multiply that. What number you multiply it by itself, or like the different ro- routes that can go just within within that. I mean. Yeah, I mean there there are big moments where you don't have to make a decision where the story just sort of plays out, but in this scene, it, like you are in it, like you have to make some quick decisions to decide how this is going to unfold, and yeah, I really. But I just mean mathematically, it's a good example of how many different things they had to have filmed just just for this one little scene. There's like, you know, three decisions we're faced with, so you multiply that by three you know what i mean it just starts branching and branching and branching yeah and they they did do a good job in making these decisions have an impact down the road so somehow they need to tie it back into a main story and then certain things might have to change even if it's the same scene i wonder if they're like certain composites or so like something in the background that has to change based on a decision you made right here mm-hmm. um so and it's it's a really nice attempt at making something that has an impact on story and is not just a gimmick. And I think for the first 70% of this whole film, it works. I have some problems with the ending in terms of does it really then make it a yeah, different and film? Th- right. And what's interesting is, and I don't know if you felt this way, the way you watched it, and this was definitely to the chagrin chagrin of the people i watched it with family members i wouldn't go with the violent choice when it was my turn (laughs) and yet no matter what you did it was always kind of pushing towards like for example the kid throw is the first one to throw the coffee cup in this fight and then also was just always pushing towards a murder i'm not going to say who but it felt to me that kind of seemed like a i don't know it just felt odd and, and unmotivated you know what i mean to make that jump to just to to killing um and to force the audience to do it is kind of like an interesting there's like a whole discussion just about that in and of itself in terms of what they're doing with the show yeah it was was very very interesting well it's interesting when we watched it the first time we collectively decided to always make the dumb choice or the evil choice (laughs) and it actually paid off quite a bit at the beginning so it felt like we were rewarded for making him more evil than he was. Um, so, yeah. It's a, well, I guess that fits the premise of Black Mirror, right? It's like yeah. the darkness to it. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. Now there's a couple things I want to go back and redo. But So in terms of the editing of this scene, it's very clearly done in a style that is self-aware and sarcastic and clearly i mean just even in terms of the way that the the lighting starts to hit them and stuff like that once the fight begins it's clearly breaking the fourth wall i feel like her having two telescopic batons i mean the whole setup of it everything so do you want to talk about the style of this type of fight scene yeah absolutely i would like to start at the beginning actually which I really love how the scene structurally is worked. You were sort of starting in close-ups. It's not tradition like traditionally you might want to go to a master first, go into it. I think it's really smart not to do it here. I like the way that the script is written here. This is this is this is exposition that we're facing, but it's done through mm-hmm. conflict. Like she's kind of disagreeing with his premise. And then she's questioning mm-hmm. it. And really what what's happening is we're learning information. And it is yes. entertainment through conflict. 
and the combination of just starting really slow and with close-ups and setting it up and waiting to, to go to a close-up when something dramatic is being revealed so for example i don't know some sort of I'm just playing it back I'm 15 seconds into it like a computer game i don't know so she says like a computer game and he's like i don't know and then he like puts his head down at 20 mm -hmm. seconds we're in a wide shot it makes it it puts an emphasis on this moment on this yeah. piece of information mm -hmm. which is which is like that's that's a smart way to tell stories anyway somebody asks the question and you don't answer it you leave it hanging the question itself mm -hmm. is the information the the answer doesn't matter um but by by instigating it this way it became it becomes dramatic yeah and then she draws the next conclusion okay let's assume this is not reality wouldn't it be more interesting right i really like how she as an actress her body movement like when she makes the point that she needs to make she she leans forward that's about to happen i'm at 50 seconds mm -hmm. and then that brings us into our choice so i mean it's weird because it's it's it, the choice is forcing you also they're both they're both affirmational yes and fuck yeah right but once yeah it's it, it's a it's a little stressful and confusing so at 113 she starts leaning forward wouldn't you want a little mm -hmm. more action and that's when the decision has to be made and you basically as you were saying you have two choices that are not yes or no you have yes and fuck yeah which what does that tell right. you like what does that incentivize right oh maybe that's whether he throws the coffee or not you know yeah if he starts it it's so it's, that's it's who knows it's challenging the audience to go for the big um choice right that's that's what happened yeah i wonder how many and then the people real choice yes. and the real choice to leave is leap through the window yeah yeah which i don't know how you go to 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 leap through that window after fuck yeah it's very interesting i would be very curious to kind of see the the patterns of choices and I mean, I'm sure there could be a great conversation about this, about how deep you can go and the different things that happen. And maybe it would be responsible of us yeah. <laughs> to check those out, to fully analyze it. Um, but one thing I'll point out, just in terms of the style of the filming of this, this kind of self-aware action scene, it reminds me a lot of Hot Fuzz. And I'm sure this will this will cause a little, a little, a little controversy. But, you know, Hot Fuzz was also English action film, but not really an action film, a comedy kind of spoofing action, which this is more or less doing. Yeah. So although it's 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 trying to be like very clearly like Bad Boys 2, it's doing it through a lot of shaky camera movement and zooms and, you know, hard lighting and, and sped up film and stuff like that. Whereas the actual action isn't that that impressive. And Right. When I walked out of Hot Fuzz, you know, I had to like literally watch scenes from Bad Boys 2 just to see the disgusting actual excess, like the uncoordinated explosions and just the the ways that was dumped into it cuz that movie and this this clip don't really have the ability to deliver 
really impressive action. True. If that makes any sense. True. It's not really a born identity. It's just kind of skirting it. So, you know, I think there's something to study with action films too. You know, and oh man, there's so many different cool ways to film action scenes. And there's some we have that we might look at in this podcast just, just dissecting that. But in terms of the actual impact of your action, if you're cheating the audience with it, or if, you know, sometimes the spectacle of action movies, if you really deliver on that, that's gonna, that's why the movie is successful, which is, which is interesting. Well, what's bad drama, but if you really have that Van Damme doing split kick, then it's, uh, (laughs) people will go see it. What's great about Bandersnatch is it doesn't have to deliver on spectacle. It delivers on story. So, Mm -hmm. and that's, this scene proves it. It's so simple. Mm -hmm. And they probably shot this in no time, in half a day to get this all done. Um, But Mm -hmm. you're still having the same or even a a bigger experience because of this added stress that you are now in charge. You need to make good decisions. Um, Right. I wanted to go through this process of making a choice, just like in detail. So what happens here is at one minute, 10 seconds, she's posing this. Wouldn't, if this wasn't reality, wouldn't this be more interesting? And then the decision, wouldn't you want a little, wouldn't you want a little bit more action? And then what happens is that at mm-hmm. the bottom, the black um, letterbox sort of moves up and the two decisions appear and there's also a timer so there's like this um what is this a scroll bar or something that like diminishes Mm -hmm. and you have you know you have like it feels like three seconds to make a choice right the sound is mounting yeah and the sound you have tension going on there yeah. And then the intercutting between close-ups. So we're right now basically in standby mode in the film. The film is waiting for us to make a decision. But the way that it's put together with this technology that they're using, this where it, the, the caging is happening and whatever, they're still cutting. We're, we're intensifying the scene by going from one close-up to the other, to the wide right. shot. And the decision is made. And then the cut happens... I bet the decision that you make changes the story after the close-up. So at 1.30, we're in a close-up, and it feels like this is where the bump is. Mm -hmm. And then we're going into the next segment. So it would be actually really interesting to look at the other choice right here, right now, and see when, when does it change. But, I mean, ultimately... We know it's going to change somewhere. You're saying there's a close-up at 1.30? I'm saying at 1.30 is a wide shot. And then yeah. the next shot oh, is you. basically the chosen path. Yeah. It, um, right. Gotcha. So I feel Which like this, not a close-up. This, this standby mode where the film is waiting for you to make a decision that loop ends at 1.30 next shot is the new path and again if you don't make a choice at all it's it's gonna be made for you that's their way out like yeah. i remember They're in all computer curious. games you wouldn't like the the game would not continue until you made a decision yeah and i'm very curious if anyone ran into this on their first go yes I also think it's hilarious you guys got the credit scroll making the bad choices <laughs> so early because I'm realizing I'm realizing why. 
Was it shortly after destroying the computer that that happened? Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> that's funny. Um, <clears throat> that's that's maybe a downside of the story is a, like, you don't really remember. Like, it doesn't work as a film where you have some like character arc and some growth, and then you maybe take something out of it here. You just have an experience and it's kind of fun, but in the end, it's just a gimmick. It doesn't really matter what happened. Yeah. Well, my t yeah, my wa walking away from it, it did kind of feel like it wasn't. It was kind of like, okay, I guess that's over. Yeah. And the question you know, is, would you is, do it again? Like, would you watch right. this again? I well, I know. would now that we've talked about it. I'm realizing all these, you know. But I wonder. I just wonder what what can be done with this, and I wonder what would happen if it's a show that you're deeply engaged in. Like, let's say it's The Sopranos and it's that final scene and you get to choose A or B. Yeah. You know, so I wonder what would happen if it was maybe more limited in the choices, right? Like kind of episodes, you know, at the end of an episode could go one of two directions based on a character's decision. Like you're watching Mad Men and it's like he's either going to walk away from this or he's going to push it and the next episode is determined by that and you're almost going through whole seasons with that instead of being so interactive maybe making it broader choices yeah. I mean, we could speculate forever clearly I, about you know this, i it's a it's an interesting question i think it it's something that needs to be discovered what this is doing is it's sort of setting the bar it's saying okay th these are some of the cinematic choices you can make this is the language that we're developing but how do you use it to still make make dramatic stories that um, satisfy some of the bigger aspirations that film have in terms of making us uh, be inspired or whatever um, that is still out there to be had and to be explored i think somebody will take this and say okay we got to this this part we got so far now what do we do with this what is this actually going to become? And that's still st still open. Yeah. And I have a feeling Soderbergh figured it all out already and just no one, <laughs> no one cared or paid attention um, <laughs> with Mosaic. But the, the last thing I'll say, the thing that, that just I keep going back to is the idea that, that Netflix brought this to them. The amount, I mean, I can't imagine how mad that could drive someone trying to figure this out. Whereas I'm I'm very curious what it would be if, it had generated, someone had organically had a story that would be enhanced by this, by this style. I wonder what, what the results of that would be. Something that more inherently from the beginning of the process, which maybe, maybe we'll get now. Yeah. We'll see. Um, yeah, I can't imagine what Charlie Broker was going through or Broker was going through with, with this, but, um, yeah. So we have this character who's sort of grounded the therapist who's saying this is, is this not we're living in this world that is real this is not a game um and then the resolution of the path that we chose is that she's the one that's like suddenly have these random random weapons in her hand and so she basically contradicted herself in the scene and proven right. his point um that we are indeed in in a universe that's controlled by an outer um, force, so I think within mm -hmm. that scene, it's a really interesting um, character turn and proving a premise. Right, that's excellent. The other thing I want to point out is the the power of sound here. You already said this is in terms of the production value, not the the greatest 
uh, f filmmaking because it has to be simple and efficient, but it works. Like they're doing a lot of the fighting through the sound, I feel like. It f definitely feels like a big fighting scene, while what we see it's not. Using the shutter speed, the high shutter speed, to make it feel more hectic. And yeah, and it's, uh, and it's a great way, you know, when you have, you know, limited ability to deliver, like, a hardcore action scene, you can use sound and, and do that. Yeah. And then the last thing I want to point out about the scene is really the pacing. I think it's a very well-paced scene. It starts off super quiet. It gets super hectic. And then whenever there's a point where we have to make a decision, there's these 10, 15 seconds of quietness before it ramps up again and gets loud and that mm -hmm. also helps making it feel like a really dramatic scene yeah well very cool if you enjoy what you are hearing we would love to hear your thoughts we'd love to hear different routes that were taken i would love to hear anyone that ran into this on their first go through the film this scene and what that was like well i'd be really <laughs> curious also just to find out if people okay. like have a vision for this like how can this be more than just a a gimmick it still feel i feel like it's successful and it's definitely pushing the envelope and it's it's doing the right mm -hmm. things to make it not a gimmick but i think at the end it's still a gimmick but it doesn't have to be there's something that can be learned from this so it's a very conversation dependent clip to look at and analyze so hop on where's Sven? Oh, yeah, they can go on thisguyaddis.com slash comment. And let us know your thoughts, or you can comment on the wonderful YouTube video. I think Dennis will be pretty tempted to make on this one. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please let a friend know. We appreciate how the subscriber base keeps growing week to week. And subscribe on whatever you're listening to us on. Maybe it's iTunes, maybe it's Stitcher, maybe it's Spotify. We are here, and we appreciate it. And we would like to thank Curta for the music. And as Sven always says, happy editing. Stand inside phones and TV shows about tweakers. There's no sane zone to put your head between the speakers. There's no sane zone to put your head between the speakers. Nice, yeah. I'll definitely put that in before I start ranting. Cool. Yes, very good question, Sven. <laughs> okay. All right, I hope we did stop. a good job on this. I think this is a great one. Okay, good. Because it's a hip one. All right, turning up.